The story of Nehemiah is a 2,500 year old story set in a Middle Eastern culture and far removed from our lifestyle today. You would be forgiven for thinking it had nothing to do with us in our life, in our post-pandemic culture. But despite the distance between us and this ancient Judean culture and this character, I feel there is a great deal to learn about rebuilding and about setting vision from the story of Nehemiah, the leader of these people. First of all, the context. The book of Nehemiah follows the book of Ezra, and many feel that the book should be read together as parts one and part two. They chronicle the return of the people from Babylon, where they had been in exile for many, many years. The book of Nehemiah tells the story of how Jerusalem's walls were rebuilt. Let's think a little bit about Nehemiah. When he heard the news of the state of Jerusalem, of how the walls were broken down and the people were abandoned and in distress. How did he react? His very first thing, he was distraught. He was so distraught that he wept and he wept for ages. It wasn't just a little cry. He wept. When he heard of the disaster that had befallen Jerusalem, he did the most human of reactions. He cried. All was in ruin. To be upset was a natural reaction. He loved, he engaged, he was part of these people and he'd left them. He wept. Probably all sorts of feelings went through his mind. What if things had been different? If only I'd been there. What if we'd trained our armies better? What if we'd kept ourselves to ourselves more? What if we'd made the walls so strong they were impenetrable? What if they were just a tiny bit higher? It might not have happened. I suspect even Nehemiah was not amiss to the questions of the what-if questions, the ones that so often plague us when something goes terribly wrong. I think it's good that this great leader starts off with a series of doubts and upset and, and pain. It's a good reminder to us that actually when things go wrong, there's nothing wrong with weeping and crying. It's a good thing. But then what did Nehemiah do? He prayed and he didn't just pray. He didn't put his hands together and said, Lord, help us at the bottom of his bed. He prayed fervently. He says in the scripture, I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Let's look at the prayer he said in a little bit more depth, because what he said was really interesting. He said, I'm praying night and day in intercession for your servants. Not just a quick prayer, but a fervent prayer. The sort of prayer that is always at the front of your mind. This sort of prayer is all consuming. As we begin to rebuild our post-pandemic church here in Hounslow, especially, but wherever you are in the world, truthfully. We need to pray fervently, not just a quick prayer in the shower at the bottom of the bed at night, but a, a 
fervent prayer, the sort of prayer that is with you constantly. The prayer that Paul, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. I've often wondered what that actually means because you wouldn't get anything else done if you were just praying without ceasing. For me, it's a this is on my mind. I'm thinking about it. It's there in my thoughts day and night. Yes, of course, I'm doing other things, but it's in my thoughts day and night. And I'm I, I, I'm thinking of those things. But I'm bringing them to God in prayer. But perhaps the next time we meet to talk about the way forward, as we have done already, the question should not be, what do we think we should do? The question should be, what has our prayer and study helped us to understand about God's call to us as a church? What has our prayer and our reflection and our study and our time with God helped us to understand about God's calling for us? as a church and as a people. It's got to be said that Nehemiah's success was founded in his prayer and in his reflection. We really do need to take time to pray and reflect individually and as a church. So Nehemiah was distraught. He prayed fervently. But another thing that Nehemiah did is he took responsibility seriously. He accepted that the past was less than perfect. He accepted the wrongdoing of his people, but he also accepted his part in that wrongdoing. He could have been extremely proud of his Jewish people, defended them up to the hilt, but he didn't. And when he spoke to God, he laid it on the line. This is what he said. We've treated you like dirt. We haven't done what you told us, haven't followed your commands, and we haven't respected the decisions you gave, your Mo gave to Moses, your servant. Wow. That's laying it on the line. Now, I'm not going to suggest that we take responsibility for the pandemic. Of course not. But I wonder if on our hearts of hearts, we have, during this time, followed God's commands to love our neighbour as ourself, as it says in Mark, or taken time to worship God in spirit and truth in John 4? Or have we fully looked after God's creation? Or has our passion to save creation from destruction been forgotten because we've been so wrapped up in our own survival, our own closed doors and closed windows? What has happened to our passion to help and support the poor and vulnerable? The need is greater than it has ever been. The truth is that the priorities we are called to have emerged from this pandemic as even more demanding than they were before. Number one, people are frightened, anxious, not sure what's coming next. That's probably many of us, you, me, others. We're worried about the next variant, what might happen. Will the vaccine hold? Are we safe to go out? Is it safe to meet in groups? Of course, these things are things to be taken seriously. But for many, 
they are increasing the level of anxiety that was already there before the pandemic. For many, they are making life really difficult. For some people, leaving home is a huge thing. For some people, just getting outside the front door is going to be a huge success. Support networks that were in place for the vulnerable amongst us are just not there for so many people. They've closed down. Even some of the things we've done, we had to close down. We had no choice. So we've left people in their houses, frightened people, nervous people, people with mental health needs, people with, with worries and concerns on their own. Now, I believe that we have done what we can do in caring for each other. But the needs are now greater. The demand is bigger. And on a wider scale, the world's poor, is poor are poorer. And in many cases, what support there, were, there has been has disintegrated. Our government alone has made massive cuts to foreign aid just at a time when it is so desperately needed. I can't help but feel that is a tragic act of selfishness. But all over the world, there are governments and countries struggling to survive. Our brothers and sisters in India, for example, and in Brazil and in other parts of the world are really struggling at this time. The poor are getting poorer and their demands and their needs are so much. Our climate crisis is worsening. You just have to watch pictures of ice caps falling and 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 global warming in so many different ways and look at the evidence. It's an immense and huge task, potentially an impossible task, but we can do things. We can do things. The walls of our society are broken, just like the walls of Jerusalem were broken all those years ago. And in so many ways, our world is broken too. So we could quite easily resort to despondency. What can we do? And you can quite understand people giving up, shutting themselves away and saying, well, I can do nothing more. That's it. That's my lot. I can't do it. End. Or we can respond. But we all have those worries. There are so many worries around. We need help to tackle those worries. We need thoughts and prayers to get there. We need to, at a practical level, just help people feel safe to come out of the door, to come to church, to come to life and society, to meet up with each other, to join in with each other. There are so many what ifs. What if we it doesn't work? What if we have another variant come through? But let's take our lesson from Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a master strategist and a great leader with crystal clear vision for what God wanted done. There's more of that coming next week, so hold on for that bit. But for Nehemiah, everything he did was underpinned by the time he took to pray and reflect and to plan. And then, and only then, was it time 
to rebuild. One last thought in the form of a story. There's a story of a man who owned a large farm and on his death it was halved and given to his two children. All went fine for many years until they started to argue and argue and argue until the elder child decided he'd had enough and he dug a ditch, a deep ditch between the two of them so that never they would have to have anything to do with each other. He could grow his crops and his sibling could grow their crops in whichever way they wanted to, but they wanted nothing to do with each other. The second child was so angry that she decided she was going to get a carpenter in and the carpenter came in and said, build me a big fence. I want a tall fence. I want it to be 30 metres high, a really tall fence, so tall that my brother can't even see what I'm growing. So he'll be really jealous. He won't know what's going on the other side of my fence. It will be so big. A little while later, the sister came back and was absolutely shocked to see that instead of building a fence, the carpenter had worked all their time to build a bridge, a wooden bridge that spanned across the Great Divide. Furious, the sister said, why did you do that? The answer, because you asked for what you want and what you want and what you need are two different things. That was the reply. What you want and what you need are two different things. My prayer is that we too will take time to pray and reflect and share with each other what we feel God is calling us to do. But I also hope we are prepared to be surprised by God doing what God wants to do, not necessarily what we need him to do, because God is a God full of surprises. Amen. <laughs>